Are you a current dental student getting ready for the INVDE? For help on how to prepare for the exam, check out our recent YouTube video going over what to use, how to use it, and most importantly, how to ace your board exam. Just search One Mission DMD INBDE on YouTube to be done with this. Look out for the INBDE Bootcamp promo code to save 10% on your subscription. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another One Mission DMD podcast video. In this video, we'll be speaking with Dr. Mirazuddin, who graduated from Western University in 2020. So in this episode, we'll be sitting down with him and getting to know how his journey was leading up to dental school. And I think a lot of pre-dental students can relate to his experience and will have a lot of their questions answered. So Miraz, thank you so much for being a part of this episode today. Welcome to the channel. I appreciate it, Tom. Um, I'm really glad that I have this platform to be able to share my story and uh, just, you know, have a good chat with you, man. I miss you. Yeah, man, with the whole craziness of school and COVID and just, you know, having moved Houston, I think we just really haven't been able to see each other as much. So I guess this is a way for us to kind of reconnect and talk about things. Definitely, man. It's always good to chat with you. So, Maras, tell us a little bit about yourself. What got you into dentistry and just where you're at today? Well, so my name is Maraz. Um, I'm originally from Houston. Um, I uh, went to uh, undergraduate um, at University of Houston. Um, I went to dental school um, at Western U College of Dental Medicine um, in SoCal. It's about um, 30 miles east of Los Angeles. Um, I'm currently practicing in Dallas. Um, but kind of what got me into dentistry, um, you know, this is kind of what I wanted to share and, uh, you know, kind of the reason why me and Dom thought this would be a great episode to have. Um, you know, initially, uh, for the majority of my undergraduate career, I was uh, pre-med. Um, so, I mean, I definitely wanted to uh, share my story just because, um, you know, there were a lot of phases, um, a lot of thought that had to go into, you know, me making the switch. And, um, you know, overall, I felt it was the best, uh, you know, position in my career to make the switch because um, I looked at dentistry and um, I really loved it. And uh, I'm loving it right now. So having entered undergrad, I know you were kind of pursuing medical school at one point, and then you kind of made the shift to dental school. So what were the challenges and things you kind of had to figure out um, navigating through that change? Yeah, so kind of a little bit of my background and my story was that initially, whenever I started undergrad, um, my first, second, um, and third years, um, I was officially pre-med, you know, um, I was locked into that. Um, even, um, you know, in my third year, um, I was the, like, I was an officer at one of the pre-medical organizations at uh, the university. Um, plus, I was um, even the president of that same pre-medical organization um, in my fourth year. But whenever, um, you know, I heard actually one of my friends, he kind of piqued my interest because he was also pre-med for a very long point in time in his undergrad um, career. And he told me, you know, he was applying to dental school. And that was kind of something that like, you know, I never really thought of because initially, you know, what inspired me to uh, pursue pre-med and um, stick to it was I had, um, you know, a lot of uh, opportunities to be able to observe um, the medical career um, earlier in you know high school, even throughout college. Um, but I never really gave any other kind of fields a chance. Um, but, you know, especially kind of rearing towards the end of college, um, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, 
you know, whenever you enter college, you kind of think of college as, uh, you know, what it is, but um, really it's just like an avenue or like kind of like a trampoline for you to get to where you want to go and what you want to do with your life goals. So um, after I heard that, I was like, hey, let me give like some other um, pre-health organizations or uh, professions a chance. And um, dentistry really piqued my interest the most um, just because it gave me the best combination of what I wanted in my life long term and the flexibility um, in what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, I kind of just took a look at that um, and kind of ran with it, um, you know, uh, having very, uh, having a lot of similarities between, um, you know, them being, uh, doctorate programs, uh, that was something that, uh, you know, I felt really kind of helped me facilitate the transition, but, um, yeah, honestly, I'm loving the fact that I did that soul search in and, uh, it's been great so far. You know, a lot of the things like you just mentioned, they kind of, uh, fall in between both dental and medical if you're in college trying to pursue either of them like you know the prereqs are the same now a lot of pre-dental students they have questions regarding the switch specifically from medical to dental they say you know I've worked as a scribe I've you know worked in clinics I've shadowed physicians how much of that should I mention in my dental school application what would you tell that student definitely I would try to put as much of that as possible because kind of being um, on the side whenever I was an applicant. Um, and also um, in my last year, I also interviewed some dental students as well. And kind of the overarching, um, you know, things that um, acceptance uh, panels are looking for is they want to just look at your experiences, right? They want to look at, you know, your pros, your cons um, overall, but they also want to see what led you to the field, why you think you'll be successful, and realistically, you know, if you feel that you have, um, you know, if some experiences that might not be as cookie cutter fitting in the dental field, and you might have done some other things, such as some volunteer opportunities, been an officer in some other, um, you know, kind of pre-health organizations, just like me, um, you know, that kind of just helps them realize that, like, the, realistically, that officer position ship you had was really just to um, help your leadership skills. Other opportunities were just to kind of help you to understand, you know, what you like and you don't like. And realistically, if I was on a admissions board and I was to take a look at that, I would love it if someone showed that they had experiences in other types of healthcare fields, because that shows that they've really done their soul searching, their due diligence into looking if that's something that's right for them. So, um, you know, I know the dental uh, application and even the medical school application, every pre-health application, um, it can be a little bit of a beast. It's a lot, um, you know, for me being in Texas and then also applying around the country as well, too. I had TMDSAS and ADSAS as well. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to put in. But that also gives you a lot more opportunities to put in everything that you've done. Because giving the best picture that you can paint to the admissions board um That'll help them to be able to uh, see if you're a good fit for their school. Because at the end of the day, um, they don't care if you've done um, one, two, and a third. Um, they just want to make sure that you're a good fit for the school and good fit for the profession. So if you feel like you've done some stuff and you've done things that kind of help your application, put that in. I would not hesitate at all. Do you think it could ever be brought up from an interviewer? that why were you only involved with pre-medical things like why didn't you involve yourself in dental as much like do you think that that could maybe come up and how a uh, interviewee should kind of respond to it they can definitely bring that up and um, for me in my interview they didn't 
um, I actually, um, you know, that same friend that I was talking about that, um, you know, kind of was telling me, you know, he was also pre-med for probably the first three years of his undergrad career. And he told me he was, you know, thinking about applying to dental school. Um, you know, for him, he was asked that. And realistically, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you might feel, um, you know, the dental field might be a better fit for you than the medical field. Um, and usually what I would say to any of those interviewers is, um, for me at least, um, in my position and kind of what a lot of people, you know, feel whenever they kind of look into the, into the dental field a little bit more so is that they really like the business aspect a lot. And they like the autonomy as well, because dentistry is one of the rare fields where, um, you know, you can decide what you want to do more so and you can pursue that a little bit more so, um, you know, uh, you know, as like in the med field, if you go um, into psychiatry, you can't switch over to orthopedic surgery. It's just not something that happens. But realistically, um, in dentistry, you're kind of open to all the disciplines. So if you realize whenever you first get out, you're like, man, I really like perio or man, I really like prost or man, I really like oral med you have that opportunity to be able to pursue it either in a formal fashion through a, um, you know, a specified residency, or you have the option to be able to um, take a lot of CE in that course and really kind of hone your skills in that. So you can mainly dedicate your time and practice to that. And that's what I think is such a great part about dentistry. Um, you know, throughout your career, if you think about practicing it, especially with the amount of debt load you usually take on with dentistry, you want to practice it for a long time. Even if you're doing it part-time, you at least want to pro probably practice it like 20, 30 surplus years. I've known some dentists that have been practicing for 40 years. I'm just like, wow, 40 years. That's crazy. But you want to be able to you know, make shifts in your career and have the opportunity to be able to make those shifts, right? It's um, crazy to think that someone, whenever they're 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, whatever they are when they graduate dental school – that they know exactly what they want to do for those 20, 30 years. I know a lot of um, people in other healthcare fields where, you know, they practice for maybe 10, 20 years, 15 years. And then afterwards, they're like, hey, man, um, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So um, having that malleability, man, it's, um, you know, I'm definitely going to give a lot of pros for dentistry throughout this entire talk. But that's the probably the main thing that uh, really drew me to the field. Um, to practice so you kind of brought up school and kind of like you know having to make that decision so we'll get to that in a second but talk to us a little bit about what your dental application was like and what led you to pick western as the school that you attended dental school at so with my application um you know i as i said i applied to all the texas schools um realistically whenever i was looking at any of our like out of state schools um, i definitely did want to give my best go whenever i applied that cycle um, I know a lot of my friends that, you know, they just only applied to the three Texas schools and kind of left it at that. But for me, I wanted to kind of pick and choose where I wanted to apply. Um, I was mainly looking at places where I could realistically see myself living. Um, I mainly applied to schools in some big cities because at the end of the day, I'm kind of a little bit of a city boy. Uh, you know, I do like big cities and stuff. So I want to see where I could apply. So with, um, you know, the places, you know, I interviewed with, um, Western was probably the best fit because um, Western did have some pros and cons with it. Definitely um, the one con I will say, even though, you know, you're technically not supposed to hate on your school, it was a pretty new school. That was something that, you know, I did have to kind of evaluate, but there were so many pros, man. I'm not just trying to like beef up Western and swear I don't have any, uh, you know, kind of paid uh, thing with Western. I'm not affiliated with them. not getting paid for this. But um, one of the main things is that I realized with dentistry, with we, 
with me wanting that freedom to being able to decide what I wanted to do, I definitely need to get as much exposure as possible. Unfortunately, in dental school, some schools give a lot better opportunity to be able to give more exposure. With ASDO, they give great exposure. That's one thing about ASDO that's really, really great. Um, with Western, um, they uh, don't have any um, postdoctoral programs. Um, so they don't have any specialty programs like endo, prost, or such. So everything that came across the clinic, unless it was something that was very difficult that maybe uh, the faculty felt we couldn't handle, such as like full mouth reconstruction, if they had a super collapsed bite, um, all on four, anything like that, everything we got to do. Um, so that was great just because, you know, I really got to get a lot of endo experience, which, um, you know, that's kind of, I feel like is the next level up afterwards after you kind of master your restorative aspect being able to pair that restorative aspect with a central kind of um care about the head and neck system um so uh definitely being able to get that exposure that was something that you know i talked to a lot of people that were my peers um oh not well peers at the time right now um but they've been practicing for five ten years and they told me it's like hey man like honestly you just want to get your feet wet with as many things as possible and you don't want to be bashful so that kind of gave me a better opportunity at western to be able to do that plus also you know i felt uh you know vibes are really uh they're really you know it's a real thing and uh i really liked the school i really liked everything i really liked the people that went there um, I felt I kind of operated on the same frequency as them. Um, plus, one of the main areas that I did want to go to was California um, as a student. So um, really, Western kind of made the most sense for me. And uh, I'm really glad I went. Um, and yeah. So, Miraz, how did you kind of figure out about uh, making your decision regarding specializing or not? And how soon did you kind of make that decision? So it's a tough decision, man. I'll tell you, uh, everyone in my class um, had this whole tug of war effect where, you know, they were uh, setting their goals and they were not really sure about what to do. Because um, for me personally, I think it's kind of absurd to assume someone graduating dental school, especially if, you know, they, um, you know, are, you know, in their late 20s or something like that, to be able to decide what they want to do for the rest of their career, right? Um, I personally, um, kind of held off on that just because, um, you know, I'm not closing the door to specializing. Um, but definitely I felt that there were a lot of opportunities for me to gain a better understanding of what certain specialties do and the practicality of them. Um, you know, whenever you're practicing, right. Um, right now I'm at a perio practice. Um, you know, that's something that I kind of suck out cause I did want to, uh, see how things were going um, with how perio is practiced. And also whenever perio is involved, there's usually a prost aspect as well too. I wanna to see like how the prost field was involved too. Um, so I felt it would be a little naive for me to kind of just hop into it. There are a lot of people that, you know, they know exactly what they wanna do and that's great. Props to them, kudos to them, do it. I encourage that. But for me, whenever I was taking a look at some areas of practice, like in dental school, I got a lot of endo training. I got a lot of uh, restorative training, but there were other aspects that I wasn't really sure about as much. So, um, so you know, seeing the practicality of, you know, how a specialist practices is important because I have a couple people, you know, I've been talking to, some of them wide range of experience, right? Five years out, 10 years out, 15 years out, 20 years out. I actually have some friends, you know, they went right into specialty. Some people, um, there's actually this one dentist that, um, you know, one of my mentors knows. Um, he went into periodontal residency, became a periodontist, but he felt very limited in what he was able to do. 
So he actually had to go through a pretty uh, hard process and jump through a lot of hoops with the Texas State Board to be able to go from a periodontist and to be able to have a general dentist license. Because, you know, he had those perio skills, but he felt like he would be able to serve his patients and do a lot more career-wise or fit his goals a lot more so as a general dentist. So he still has that training. Um, but for me, um, taking a look at both sides where I see some people that, you know, go right into practice and they kind of take a look at the realism of how certain specialties are practiced and go into that versus that guy that I was talking about, um, I definitely wanted to do uh, the... Uh, the first part wherever, you know, I went into practice and saw what I really wanted to do and really liked because, um, you know, my mentor, um, he's actually a periodontist. Um, he's actually my boss as well, too. But um, so for him, he's saying that in his period program, it's a three-year program, right? And he's saying his first year, um, he was thinking he was going to you know, dive right in. His first year, realistically, all he did was just read a lot of papers. And me, I'm not against evidence-based dentistry, but um, he was saying that he felt his first year was a little wasted at that point in time. Every program is different as well, too. Maybe different programs allow you to enter clinic and do different things at different times. But he said that that was a concern that he had because realistically for him, what he's doing right now, a lot of uh, the procedures he's doing are stuff that he's added on with CE afterwards, or mainly it was done at the end of at the tail end of his second year and his third year of his perio program so for him you know he he was really great because he was telling me it's like hey if you have some certain things that you feel like you're interested in don't necessarily rely on a specialty program even though i will say specialty programs are good because you know at the end of the day you get um you know that title of being a specialist right so when patients seek you out it's definitely a practice builder to say hey i'm a board certified periodontist i'm a board certified prosthodontist that's something that patients whenever they look at that they take a look at that specialty and they look at that at, at, in very high regard but um if you're trying to um do things that you specifically want to do um there is a route to also take ce and get a really good um you know, basis on that. For me personally, um, I'm actually taking a CE course um, on IV sedation. And that's something that a lot of specialty programs, they spend probably about half a semester doing. Um, it is quite a rigorous course. I'm doing it over multiple weekends. But um, that's something that I felt I could offer my patients, um, even though like I didn't technically specialize. So um, that is something that, you know, it's, it's important to weigh, you know, what you want in your life as well, too. For me, I did want to kind of control where I would be um, city-wise in the United States, um, but honestly, um, it's really kind of a tug of war. You really have to do some soul searching and see what your values are and see um, if you want to specialize. Because uh, there are, in dentistry, as I was saying, this is what makes it one of the best healthcare fields. You have opportunities to like, you know, your first 10 years, say you like endo, do a lot of endo, cool. Your next 10 years, do a lot of pros, cool. That's what you like, great. Your last 10 years, do a lot of sleep apnea stuff, do a lot of sleep stuff. Great. If that's what you like, do it. You have that, uh, you know, freedom to do that. You know, it's really interesting. You brought up that factor about specializing in how you're kind of locked into that specialty once you become that specialist. Um, but it's also interesting how you said how no matter what you have a passion for in general dentistry, you can make that your like thing to focus on. Like, Kind of at our school, my director actually, he's really known for doing really well with dentures and just, you know, having worked with so many patients with dentures. And so even though he's not a prosthodontist, 
everybody at our school, when they have like, including other doctors that, you know, are directors of the clinic, if they know that there's a complicated, you know, case or something where the student in one clinic is about to work with the denture, they refer him or her to that, to that, to my director, because he's the one who's known as the denture guy, because he's so good at it. And, you know, that's just, it's really cool how general dentistry lets you kind of pave the way you want to practice it. And it gives you that freedom. So I definitely agree with you. What you said. And realistically, uh, one of the best things about being able to practice as a general dentist um, in a field um, where you're not technically a specialist is that you get to learn a lot about certain kind of methods that are the most cutting edge ways that people are practicing dentistry. Like currently, um, we're using completely, um, you know, digital design. Um, we have 3D printers in the office. And we're able to um, use an iCam 4D scanner. It's technically something that you just, you know, you take a picture of the mouth. You have exactly what you need um, to be able to provisionalize anything. And that 3D printer is something that you can do that same day. Um, and not only is it 3D printing when it comes to like dentures or anything that's kind of like, you know, implant supported, but it's, uh, it's a great asset. I actually did this case where we 3D printed a full top arch of provisionals. And we were able to get perfect fitting provisionals. And um, it was a game changer just because uh, the patient, she actually had a sister that um, had a case where she did a full arch and they had to like, you know, use a, you know, temp material to be able to make it and it kept fracturing and it wasn't exactly the color that she wanted. Whenever you're able to, um, you know, understand what people are physically using and dentistry like as of right now to be able to have the cutting edge of technology realistically i'm thinking you know it's the best to be able to just get yourself out there learn what's going on and uh kind of learn what the uh most recent cutting edge um procedures are because uh, that's going to help you uh you know expand your career uh, years and years above and congrats on that ce too man that's really exciting so um did your practice that you're kind of working at kind of motivate you to go that way like what kind of led you to decide to do that as one of your first ce's out of school definitely um you know uh whenever i would be doing a procedure such as i like to do a lot of endo right now currently um and even whenever um we'd be doing any kind of uh implants or anything like that i placed you know some implants under um you know no sedation um just you know my boss he was stressing to me it's like to be able to provide the patient a clinical experience where you know you bring them in you knock them out do a procedure they wake up um it's a huge practice builder so for me um to be able to like to provide not only um, the best for my patients but to be also give the best experience possible for them that was really big for me in doing this course because um it's not only based on surgical procedures some patients that have a lot of dental anxiety which is a good amount of the population you're tapping into that because if you're known as a dentist that can be able to provide sedation for them um some patients even whenever they have even maybe like a quad of fillings or something like that, they're more than willing to be able to pay for that, especially uh, depending on the area you work in population, um, they would love to be able to do that. And they actually like seek you out. You know, it's crazy how many times uh, you just have a patient say that, hey, uh, I looked up sedation industry and you were there and um, I would love for you to take care of me. And you're like, cool, all right. We'll be able to knock everything out and give you the best experience possible. Is IV sedation covered in dental insurance? Or is this something that patients typically always have to pay out of pocket for? I have no idea. 
So depending on um, the way that it's built, um, IV sedation is actually um, considered um, something that can be billed under their medical insurance. Um, depending, Ooh, okay, exactly, exactly. For, um, you know, medical insurance they have. Um, usually, some patients are more comfortable um, using um, you know the cash payment method to be able to do it, um, but. It can be covered under some dental insurances, but whenever it um, is something that you you normally know isn't covered under that dental insurance, it can be billed under their medical insurance. Um, but also, uh, whenever you're taking a look at a case, if some patient is wanting to get a lot of work done, um, we usually just say, you know, we'll do your sedation, um, you know, for free. It's just a good service to be able to provide. But billing wise, it is something, you know, um, I've had some patients. Um, you know, I actually haven't done the case yet, but it's for a single implant. They're just like, Doc, I don't like I want to be out. I don't I don't want you to do anything on me without me um, being out. So uh, for a single implant, um, maybe you would look into those avenues. But um, yeah, it is something that there's a lot of uh, steps with it um, in regards to uh, how to approach um, the patient being able to compensate the services. That's really interesting. I actually, up until now, you know, I've been kind of learning about insurance and stuff. It's just a whole nother beast. And we could talk about that for like two years straight for, and it wouldn't finish. But I recently found out because we have oral facial pain specialists at our school. And they were also saying that too, how, you know, they bill medically and stuff. And like when a patient doesn't have dental insurance, then, you know, if they have a bunch of like uh, TMJ issues, they can still get it treated if they have medical insurance. Um, so this is a number, this is the second thing that I learned that, uh, can also be billed medically. Is there other stuff that you know of that can also be billed medically just cause I'm, I just have no idea. A lot of them are under, um, the license as well too. This is something that, um, you know, we kind of learned, uh, in the course so far. Um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, OS procedures um, that are kind of under that. A lot of them have to like relate to the TMJ as well. Um, but realistically, dentally um, and any kind of things with um, gum, bone, um, they're not really covered as much. Um, but there are um, procedures where if there are um, spots wherever the nerve is involved, like say if um, you know there is something with a third molar um, requiring like a coronectomy or something like that along the IA nerve. Um, I don't want to get too into it or something like that with all this jargon, but um, that is something that can also be built under medical as well too. And that's one thing about like the office is that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that teach me a lot, not only uh, the periodontist and prosthodontist. Um, I also learn a lot from the front office as well too. So um, uh, definitely try to seek out um, any opportunity to learn from as many people as possible. And also as a new dentist, uh, just be really humble. You know, uh, you can learn a lot from a lot of people because they've been doing this stuff for a long time. So um, that's one advice, uh, point of advice that I would give as well to um, definitely uh, just be really malleable, even though, you know, you've worked a lot for your doctorate degree. You probably know um, a lot more than you actually think you know, but um, just keep an open mind whenever you're a new dentist. So this is a follow-up question regarding CEs specific to restoring implants that have already been placed. Um, do you, let's, okay, so would you say kind of in your situation, having worked at a perio office and restoring implants, um, that that's giving you a lot of experience and you're probably not interested per se in a CE specific to restoring implants or... I'm just trying to like see where your head's at, like kind of given the experience that you've been getting. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, with restoring implants, um, there's a lot of things that go into it. But realistically, um, if the placement um, of it is great, they're pretty straightforward. But there are always, um, you know, kind of uh, discontinuations in communication. Because realistically, whenever, if you're not the one placing the implant, you need to be able to communicate um, that something needs to be done. Now, whenever an implant is placed, based off of, you know, bone level and such, there's a lot of factors that go into what a good successful implant can go into. So, I mean, I would definitely consider um, having, um, you know, if you felt like you haven't like restored any implants beforehand and you're just kind of going into it, you would want to have some training. Um, Definitely, you know, if you're in an environment where you can learn about it, on the contrary, that's great. But that's also one thing as well, too. Uh, I will applaud a Western U as well, too. We got to restore implants. Um, so that is something that we, like I have restored implants before, so I felt a little bit more comfortable doing that. Um, but definitely, um, I would advise, um, you know, you don't need to take a whole mountain worth of CE in regards to restoring implants. Realistically, it's kind of just understanding the surgical and prosthetic component between them. But some of them are sure, um, you know, I wouldn't say home runs because whenever you say home run, you jinx yourself. Um, but some of them are pretty straightforward. Um, and realistically, all, all you're doing is taking a, uh, above tissue impression and, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but you know, with the harder ones, um, where, you know, say if the surgeon has to sink the implant more into the bone, therefore you're dealing with more soft tissue and more soft tissue collapse that can affect the bite. That is some things that you do want to have some training on, whether it's something that you can get formally or um, informally or through CE or anything like that. You also mentioned about kind of setting your goals and realizing what they are and what your priorities are. Knowing kind of where you're working and the kind of work and the specialists that are at this practice, did you kind of know from the beginning that you kind of wanted to be involved in a practice that was perio focused and kind of along those lines? Did you kind of know that ahead of time or did it just work, end up working out like that? I mean, I definitely did uh, do my research into what, uh, you know, specialties or uh, procedures I would want to do more so. Um, and that was something that, you know, I leaned a little bit more towards. So, um, you know, I just felt like, with um, dentistry, one of the main things is that there's the whole uh, continuing of being able to maintain teeth and replace teeth. And, um, you know, definitely with, uh, you know, where the field is, um, with the population that you'll be treating, and where I kind of wanted to see myself practicing in big cities, um, it is something that if you can, um, you know, provide people the option to um, give them the best five-star customer experience, whether it's being able to keep your teeth or to be able to replace your teeth. That was something that I really looked at a lot. Um, you know, as I was saying, you know, I did want to do some soul searching and look into the practicality of how practices are. Um, cause I do have some friends, um, who are periodontists and they were saying it's great, but the one qualm they have is that, you know, a lot of the free gingival grafts or connected tissue grafts or, um, things that, you know, are kind of the bread and butter of perio, they felt that like they weren't doing as much. So I want to just kind of look into that a little bit more. So I also want to look into the technologies and such that are going into um, PROS, just because if you take a look at it, um, there's a lot of changes that have happened in materials, way that we prep teeth, way that we position teeth, way that we position anything with dentures or anything like that to replace teeth. Um, so I just wanted to gain a little bit more understanding on that. Um, those two really piqued my interest more so. Um, so um, I kind of did 
have a concerted effort to kind of look at that more so, but um, just taking a look at like what is taught in residencies versus, you know, what is actually being used as of now. Cause you know, I can say like, you know, in dental school, you're taught a lot about, you know, amalgam, you're taught a lot about, you know, GI, but realistically in private practice, there's not really a lot of amalgam and GI being used. Um, so you also have to take a look at that, you know, whenever you're taking a look at specialty programs, which are kind of a little bit same as dental schools, a little old school. Um, so is anything that you're using actually being used? Because the prost, um, the traveling prosthodontist that's at the office, um, he says he's probably used about maybe 30% of his prost training um, in what he's doing. Just because right now, um, with everything that he does restoratively, it's all 3D printing, um, it's all scanning, um, not really as much uh, the bread and butter prost. Of course, there's some principles like with, you know, centrigulation and uh, different things that you know you need to abide by but uh, like as the jaw doesn't change the materials you use in the mouth changes but um, yeah it's just uh, that was something that I really want to look at more so so yeah I definitely I definitely was uh, kind of seeking out this practice more so than anything for sure so regarding employment you know like after school what would you tell any soon-to-be uh graduate from a dental school looking for a job, what should they look out for? And then how can they kind of figure out if the place they're about to sign a contract for is the place that'll be, you know, the best for them? Well, so initially, I would say to probably apply to every single job that you can. Because one thing that I um, did as well, too, was that I applied to a lot of different jobs. And uh, one thing I didn't really understand as a dental student um, was the different type of practice models, the way that things are done. Um, and just the way that different offices are run. So um, me getting an experience and understanding, um, you know, the way that offices are run, the way that models are done, um, that gave me the opportunity to, you know, have offers. But realistically, it's the best position. You don't want to be in a position where you, you know, you apply and you have no offers. You would rather have multiple offers and be able to understand and get your feet wet. Because I'll be frank, um, with your first contract, um, it's going to be tough to understand everything that you uh, want, um, you know, in a job because um, realistically you can make your, I would definitely say put down your goals into what you want in your job, whether it be your first job, second job, third job. Um, if it's, you know, your first job um, and it's really important for you to be very close to your office, hey man, that's, that's a very good first goal to have. Um, but also, you know, of course, with us being in so much debt, pay is also something that's very important. Um, whether you want to be a solo doc or not, that's something that's very important. So just being able to write down your goals, assess that, um, but also just make sure that you um, understand the field as best as you can. Because um, for me initially, whenever I was going into it, I, uh, I got my first contract and I was like, what? <laughs> so um, I would definitely also um, hire a dental lawyer. Um, dental lawyers do have a plus as well too over, um, you know, traditional lawyers because um, my brother-in-law, he is a lawyer as well too. I had him look at my contract just because he probably understood some of the legal jargon better than me. Um, and he's my brother-in-law, so he has my best interest in mind. So, But I did also hire a dental lawyer because there were some things that were a little um, unclear to my brother-in-law um, that the dental lawyer could explain a little bit better. But realistically, um, for me, Reddit was my best friend, man. Like I looked into a lot of things that you should look in for a contract, not looking for a contract. Um, whenever you're signing something, 
um, it's, it's pretty real, man. So you want to make sure you do your own research. So whenever you do have that conversation with your dental lawyer, you can ask really good questions. Um, cause my dental lawyer, he was good. Um, but there were some things that my brother-in-law kind of asked me questions about that. I was like, he didn't really cover it. So, um, you know, it's very important, um, especially with, you know, your first contract, usually a dental lawyer, just because they want to establish a good relationship with you, they do offer it at a very discounted fee for that. Cause they also know as a new grad, you're probably not being able to pay them too well. Um, so they do offer a very discounted fee, but they mainly do that for really like a relationship purpose. Cause they want to make sure it's like, Hey, this lawyer helped me out a lot. I'm going to ask him for my second employment contract. And that's whenever they, uh, they make sure that they uh, make sure that their services are competently paid for. But um, I would definitely make sure that you just do a lot of research. Try to understand the contract on your own. I have a lot of dentists that say like, hey, after my first or second contract, I don't have to ask a dental lawyer anymore because they understand the language a lot. Me personally, having gone through two contracts at this point in time, I feel I understand the language quite a bit, but I wouldn't be bashful. Um, I would still probably get a dental lawyer if I was to sign something. But realistically, um, just having something that fits what you want in a job initially um, as a new grad, super important. Make sure you pick your top one to three goals and make sure you're filling that. Make sure you get a dental lawyer. Um, you know, but also, you know, you also want to position yourself to be able to understand as much as you can about dental law. Just because, you know, for this new job that I have, um, I did hours and hours in research, man. Like, and I feel that helped me out a lot because whenever I started um, to have discussions with that new office, I knew exactly what to ask. I knew what was out of the ordinary. I knew what was ordinary. Definitely just learning as much as you can because this isn't something they really teach you in dental school. There's some, you know, faculty that say, hey, I'll read your contract and that'll be fine. But definitely making sure that you apply to as many jobs, get your feet wet, um, understand what people are looking for, people are asking for. It's the same thing in dental school. Like uh, all faculty members, essentially, like whenever they're asking questions on a test, everything's pretty cookie cutter. Same thing with jobs. Everything that they ask is usually pr pretty cookie cutter. They're asking for certain things that are pretty cookie cutter. Um, so yeah, just identifying what's important to you, making sure you understand the language as best as you can, um, and just trying to make sure you find the best opportunity as possible. Um, one more thing, I know I've kind of been rambling on this question a little bit, but I would definitely, um, one thing I did for my second practice that I'm at right now, um, it's a little old school, but, um, I would definitely, um, approach it. Um, there's a way to go about it. A lot of people do this whenever they want to buy a practice, but for me, I, uh, I made a manila folder or a, like a manila envelope. Um, I put in a full size headshot. I put in my resume, I put in um, my uh, cover letter, I put in um, some cases that I did as well too, gave my contact info, and um, I went to offices that I knew were hiring, and also even some offices that I knew that um, I would love to work at, and they don't really have a job posting on. I just went up there, hey, I'm Dr. Udin, nice to meet you. This is uh, my file. You know, If y'all are interested, please let me know. And um, that's kind of how, um, you know, you kind of have to think about it because uh, a lot of the people that are hiring right now as practice owners, they are a little bit more old school, like uh, LinkedIn, um, Indeed, Dental Post. It's a little kind of uh, intimidating for them. You know, they probably hired through it. Plus, also a lot of dentists, you know, um, I know I have a very messy desk. A lot of the older dentists as well, too, have a very messy desk. A lot of times, really, the practice manager um, is the one that kind of gives, like, the first pass wherever they take a look at the 
applications and such. So if you leave a good impression, um, if you show that you put the time and thought and effort and you kind of relate to them on the wavelength that whenever they probably tried to get an associateship, that's what exactly what they did. They probably walked up to offices that they knew were hiring and dropped off their manila file. Um, you know, you can definitely make some, um, some headway with that. So, um, there's a lot of ways, uh, to, uh, skin a cat. Um, but definitely just see which way is the best for the practices that you're interested in, but definitely get your feet wet in as many ways possible because, um, getting your feet wet allows you to understand the field a lot better because unfortunately we don't really get that in dental school as much. Anyways, thank you so much, Miraz, for being a part of this episode. Really learned a lot myself and I'm sure a lot of people, no matter where they're at in their journey from, you know, pre-dental to being a student or looking for jobs, I think this video can be really helpful for them. Again, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. I'm always glad to help. Um, definitely, if anyone wants to reach out, you can probably get my information through the hum. Um, just shoot me an email um, and... Uh, uh, I'm free to answer any questions. So again, thanks for having me at the Um, I'll talk to you soon, man. Perfect. Yeah. I'll have your email in the description of this video. So if anyone wants to reach out to Dr. Dean, go ahead and do that. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Take care. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to give us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Be sure to check out our prior episodes in our segments termed PDS, Pursuing Dental School, CDS, Current Dental Students, LFD, Learn from Dentists, and TRW, The Real World. Thank you so much. Catch you on the next one. Peace.